than I was last night. I was, uh, so I'm really glad to be here. It's great to see you. I hope you had a good Thanksgiving. And uh, now, as you can see, we're entering the Christmas season. We're excited about Experience Christmas, which is going to be coming up soon, an opportunity to walk through the Christmas story in a tangible way. And this morning, we're also beginning a new sermon series for the season of Christmas, the season of Advent. And, and so to start this series off, I I want to begin by asking you this question. What's in a name? Or maybe more specifically, what's in your name? What's the story behind your name? Because with every name comes a story. There can be all kinds of stories. Sometimes it's just, well, this was a name my parents saw in a movie they liked, or this is a family name. So for instance, for me, uh, I'm George, and, and I, I don't always go by the junior, but I'm actually a junior. So my dad is named George. It was great even to spend some time with him over the Thanksgiving holiday. And if you go back in my family, his grandfather was named George as well. So, so my name comes with a story of family and connection. I, maybe one of the craziest naming stories that I've ever heard of involves this guy. You've never, probably never heard of him. This is a guy named Heinrich Schliemann. In the 19th century, he was a successful uh, German businessman, but he also got involved in archaeology. He was very entrepreneurial. And so he, he became an archaeologist, and he would ultimate, ultimately excavate a site in western Turkey that many believed to be the ancient city of Troy, a a, a city that was so prominent in Greek history, a city associated with all kinds of Greek legend. And, And so when he had his son, and this is a picture of his son, he named his son after one of the characters associated with the ancient city of Troy. And you know what he named his son? Get this. I mean, some of us, maybe you feel like you've gotten stuck with a difficult name. This is Agamemnon Schliemann. Imagine writing that on a backpack with a Sharpie, okay, right? So this is one of the most interesting naming stories that I know about, but every, every name has a story. So this is, this is a family Sunday, and we like to do things a little differently on a family Sunday, and that includes some interaction. So I'm just going to give you just a couple of moments, and where you're seated, as you're talking, some of you with family or people that you're sitting next to, just take a moment and share something about the story of your name. If you're here with kids, maybe you just like to remind them of the story of their name, but just take a moment and whatever the story is behind your name, it, you know, it's a family name. I was named for a relative or I know some people, it's a name my, my mom or my dad loved in a movie. Just take a moment and share a story about a name, okay? Let me just give you a moment to do that. Okay, I want to thank you. Thank you for doing that. Sorry to interrupt some of the conversations, but feel free to continue these conversations later. My guess is some of us have some real interesting stories. Some of it's just, yeah, it was a name in my family or a name somebody liked, and, and that's the story. But it, in some ways, every name has a story. But maybe you would say, okay, so, okay, I get it. Every name has a story, but why are we talking about this during the Christmas season? Well, the reason is this. In this series, What's in a Name, 
We're going to take the next few weeks to look at five different names of Jesus that are found in Matthew's account of the Christmas story. Jesus Christ, son of David, son of Abraham, Emmanuel, the Nazarene. Matthew uses different names in the opening chapters of his gospel as he introduces us to Jesus so that we can see Jesus from different angles, so that we can see Jesus from different perspectives to understand who he is, and also so that we can really see different things about ourselves. Because as we're going to see in the course of this series, whether you realize it or not, you, you actually do find yourself in the Christmas story. And so there are different things that Jesus, or that Matthew wants us to understand about Jesus with these names, but there are also different things that Matthew wants us to understand about ourselves. So as we begin this series, let's start right at the very beginning of Matthew. We're just going to, in essence, over the next couple of weeks, unpack the first verse because several of the names of Jesus appear right as Matthew introduces us to his main character. So Matthew 1.1. 1, 1. This is the genealogy of Jesus the Messiah, the son of David, the son of Abraham. Now the first title that Matthew uses to introduce us to Jesus is this. He uses the title Jesus Christ. But notice that the 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 New International Version, which we use here, it, it doesn't translate that Greek phrase that way. It doesn't use the words Jesus Christ. Instead, it uses the words Jesus the Messiah. Now, why is that? Now, translations differ in how they translate this, but I think the, the NIV gets it right for this reason. We often think of Christ as a last name, right? Jesus Christ. I mean, I have a first name and a last name, George Davis. You have a first name and a last name. Probably at some point in, in grade school or at some point in your, your schooling career, you had a teacher, right, that set you in alphabetical order. And so I sat with the D's and the A, B, and C's were in front of me and everybody else was behind me. And so we have a first name and a last name. Well, we, we tend to treat... Jesus Christ is a first name and a last name. But originally that wasn't the case. Originally Christ, it's not a last name. It's a title. And as Matthew introduces us to Jesus, arguably that's the way he's using it. In fact, this becomes clear as you read through the rest of the opening chapter because he introduces us to Jesus and then he gives us this genealogy, right? A family tree. And we'll talk more about that family tree in the course of of this series. But then we get to verse 17 and he says, thus there were 14 generations in all from Abraham to David, 14 from David to the exile to Babylon and 14 from the exile to the Messiah. And in Greek, it says the Christ. So this Christmas season, every time you hear, every time you say the words Jesus Christ or you sing those words, understand it's, it's originally not a last name. It's a title. The Christ, the Messiah, 
the anointed one. It was, it was a title linked with the ideas of deliverance and liberation and freedom. In fact, every time you say Jesus Christ, whether you realize it or not, what you are saying is this, Jesus the liberator. Jesus the one who brings freedom. That's what's in a name. That's what's in this name. Now, to understand this title, I think it is, it's helpful to remember the historical context. Remember, earlier in Israel's history, the nation had gone through an exile, right? The, due to their own sin and failures, they had been taken into exile. But eventually, they returned to the land that they had been promised, And by the time Jesus is born, by the time we get to the first century, they they had been back in their homeland for several centuries. And yet, even though they were back, there was still this nagging sense that something isn't right. After all, they they were still under foreign domination. They were now under Roman rule. There was still this nagging sense that, yes, we're back in the land that God has promised, but this this isn't the way it's supposed to be. Something is missing. And in some sense, it still felt like they were in exile. Have Have you ever known that feeling? Maybe somehow, you know, you look to the future and you say, if only. If only I can get that next job and then everything will be great. If only I can get my driver's license and feel a new level of independence. If only I can get out of the house. If only I can reach retirement. If only I can find financial security. And and for many of us, have you ever known the feeling of kind of having that if only right in front of you and somehow you you reach it and it it doesn't turn out to be quite what you expected? Have you ever known that feeling of kind of taking steps in life and then there's this nagging sense that something is still missing? That that was the experience for many Jews in the first century. And so what did they do? They looked back. They looked back to these promises in the Old Testament, these deep, rich promises that one day God is going to send someone who truly brings freedom and liberation. One of the places they looked was the writings of of the prophet Isaiah. And the fact that he anticipated that someday someone was going to come to bring deliverance and freedom. For instance, here's here's just one passage from, from the second part of Isaiah. Isaiah writes, how beautiful in the mountains are the feet of those who bring good news. Who proclaim peace, who bring good tidings. Who proclaim salvation, who say to Zion, your God reigns. Now notice a couple of things about this passage. First of all, notice that that as Isaiah is looking to the future, it's, it's this idea that someday... God's kingdom is going to come. God's reign is going to come in a new form, right? Who proclaim salvation, who say to Zion, your God reigns. There's this expectation that one day, even though all the world is God's, one day God is going to do something new and different. And notice the way 
this new thing is described. It's described as good news. Now, interestingly, in the Greek version of the Old Testament, that term is a form of the word gospel. I mean, that's what gospel means. It's it's good news. So when we get to the New Testament and this whole idea of the gospels and the gospel message, that very term takes us all the way back to these deep and rich promises in the Old Testament that one day God would do something new and different. One day he would come in a new way. He would bring peace and hope and restoration. All the things we we sing and celebrate at Christmas. Now you have to understand that during the time of Jesus, people had different expectations about how these promises would be fulfilled. They had different views of what the Messiah would look like and how he would behave. And yet one thing they all seemed to agree on in the first century was this. He would be a liberator. He would be a freedom bringer. He would be the Christ. (laughs) So far, so good. Yet there really was just one problem. And the problem was this. The problem was, you see, when Jesus shows up on the scene and he does these amazing things and he begins teaching about the kingdom of God, what he is doing in the people around him, he's stirring up all these expectations. Right? He, he's, he's bringing to the surface this deep hope that the people had that one day God was going to do something new. He's stirring this all up. And yet the problem was this he wasn't what they were expecting. Right? They were expecting a deliverer and, and someone to come and change things, and he seemed to be that kind of guy, and yet he didn't fit the mold that they expected. I mean, if there were anyone in the first century who wrestled with this issue, it was John the Baptist. You remember John the Baptist? That kind of countercultural prophet. Right? John the Baptist, the guy willing to call out corruption and religious hypocrisy. Yet John the Baptist wasn't a cynic. He was simply a critic, a critic of the religious establishment. He wasn't simply a guy who was pointing out the faults of others. He was actually a person filled with hope. Now put yourself in his situation for a moment. You've been willing to take a stand. You've been willing to tell the truth, even when it came with negative consequences. And then you met Jesus. And somehow when you met him, you knew this was the guy who was going to fulfill all these promises. This this was the guy. This was the liberator. This was the guy bringing freedom. And when he was baptized, it was just, just amazing moment. And you knew this is it. Those promises are being fulfilled. I knew it. I knew it. But for John, things didn't go according to plan, right? He was ready for liberation and deliverance. He was ready for freedom from Rome. He was ready for Jesus to annihilate those in in hypocritical positions of authority. And none of that happens. 
And then, then John finds himself in prison because of the truth that he has been willing to proclaim. Have you ever found yourself seated next to John in that prison? And I'm wondering, okay, this Christmas story, this story of Jesus bringing freedom and liberation, I, I just, I don't see it. Maybe you look at your situation right now or you think even nationally or globally, and okay, Jesus, where, you, your, your name says you're a liberator, a freedom bringer, but where exactly is that? And so in Matthew 11, we read these words, right? John's sitting in prison. When John was in prison and he heard about the deeds of the Messiah, he sent his disciples to ask, are you the one who's to come or should we expect someone else? Do you hear the angst in that question? Jesus, you're not coming in the way I expected, so should we expect someone else? I thought you would bring freedom and liberation but this isn't how I thought it would go. So maybe at some point you found yourself just kind of (laughs) seated right there in prison with John. Okay, I grew up and they've always told me about Jesus and what he can do and liberation and freedom. That's the message of Christmas and it just doesn't seem that way right now. Well, let me just assure you, if you found yourself seated with John in that prison, you're not alone. At different points, I think many of us have wrestled with those questions. And I think Jesus actually anticipated them, even in his own teaching. When he talked about what he was doing, when he talked about the kingdom of God, he he used a variety of images. And one of the images he used with this, he said, this thing I'm doing, this new reality, this fulfillment of these promises, he said, it's like a mustard seed. It's like this itty-bitty, nondescript, unimpressive seed that comes, but over time, it, it just grows. And develops into an amazing tree. And in essence, what he was saying was this. Yes, I'm not coming in the way you expect, but I'm still coming to fulfill these promises. I'm not coming as a conquering general. I'm coming as a suffering servant. But through the way I'm coming, which you didn't expect and doesn't seem to be impactful to you, I am actually bringing a liberation and a freedom that can touch you at the very core of who you are. And and that's the, the promise Jesus makes. He promises to bring Liberation that includes forgiveness, new life, restored relationships, and a new identity. He promises really to bring transformation from the inside out. In fact, here's, here's the way Jesus, <laughs> here's one of the ways Jesus describes what he's doing and how he's fulfilling this promise. It's actually a little later in that same chapter where we read about John the Baptist. Matthew eleven twenty eight through 30, we read these words. Come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. 
And then notice a couple of things about this statement. As Jesus describes the way he brings liberation and deliverance, notice he describes it as bringing rest. And the idea of of rest here is the idea of being restored, being given a new sense of purpose, rest that makes you whole. And notice he says you experience his rest by taking on his yoke. That's a really odd image, isn't it? I mean, you think about a yoke on animals as they're plowing the fields. And I think about heaviness and weightiness of pulling the plow. Nothing about that image seems restful to me. And so this can seem to be an odd image to us, but I think it's helpful to understand this, that in ancient Jewish literature, the idea of a yoke could refer to wisdom. That is when Jesus is saying, take my yoke, he's saying this, He's saying, take hold of my teaching and my wisdom and put it on and embrace it because this is where you will find rest. And in essence, Jesus is saying this, look, I know I'm fulfilling these promises in an odd way. (laughs) I'm coming as the liberator, the the deliverer that people weren't exactly expecting. I'm not coming to conquer, but I'm coming to provide freedom through my death and resurrection. But in doing that, I'm also making it possible for you to experience rest, forgiveness, new life, a new identity at the very core of who you are. And I think by implication, Jesus was also saying this. Look, there are all kinds of ways in which we can try to find this rest. Because in some sense, this is what we're all after. A sense of wholeness, a sense of purpose, a sense of restoration and renewal. And I think Jesus is aware of there are all kinds of ways that we can try to make that happen. You know, if I could just be the most popular kid at school, if I could just get that next job. If I could just find the right relationships, if only my kids will do well, if I can make my financial goals, if I can continue my career success. And there are all sorts of ways that we can pursue this kind of rest at the core of who we are. Yet in so many instances, we find ourselves imprisoned by the very thing we're seeking to deliver us. That's why Jesus says, no, 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 take my yoke. Because compared to all that other stuff, My yoke is easy. My burden is light. So what about you? Do you know this rest? Do you know this forgiveness? Do you know this new sense of identity? Do you know that which Jesus gives because he brings freedom and liberation at the deepest part of who we are? Have you taken his promises seriously? Have you become a follower of Jesus? I invite you just to think about those questions for a moment. 